My name is Jenna and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of All the Hard Things. This one is going to be for anybody who just wants to learn more, more serious stuff, or maybe even kind of like the fun stuff behind what it's like to be a therapist. So if you've ever been to therapy or if you've ever thought about going to therapy, I think this will be a good one for you. And if you're a therapist, I think that this will be cool to kind of just know that, you know, these are things that we all usually go through from time to time. I have been to therapy before and I've been a therapist for so many years. Um, And because I've been to therapy, because I am a therapist, I don't think that I experienced my therapist as being this like super elusive character or this super elusive figure because I am one. I'm a therapist too. The only thing that I can kind of relate this to, like the way that I kind of envision my clients seeing me based on what they've told me and based on what I've heard is kind of like how we, like I used to envision my teachers back when I was super, super young. You see these leaders who are really powerful in some ways, um, but just have these really powerful roles in your life. And you think of them as just teachers. And then it's like strange when you kind of see them at the grocery store or envisioning or reminding yourself, oh yeah, they have a life outside of this. So I wanted to talk to you all about kind of what that life looks like. Um, I think it could be pretty interesting, pretty telling from both angles, both from the client perspective and from other therapists too. So going to get into confessions of a therapist. So first things first, it has to be said that therapists experience a lot of heavy emotions when it comes to the work that we do. So this is not easy stuff. We may love it. We may be super invested in it. And because of that, it's also really easy for it to take a, a toll on us emotionally. So it's not like we just get to clock out. It's not like we get to clock out and then we don't think about things. I mean, I I think we can try to be very boundaried about that and try to be very disciplined about that. But emotionally, we get invested in, in the clients that we work with and we're building very emotional and and deep bonds and we're sharing the most vulnerable parts with you guys, right? Like we're, we're sharing, we're holding space for the most vulnerable aspects of your life as clients. And so there are things that we can experience as therapists 
called compassion fatigue and burnout. And they're a little bit different. So compassion fatigue, they're both related to this just kind of ongoing um, experiencing of emotional events that are taking place by somebody else. So compassion fatigue is kind of this preoccupation having been absorbing a lot of negative energy, a lot of trauma, a lot of retelling of usually really deep events, sometimes that are very depressing in nature or anxiety provoking in nature. So imagine, I mean, if any of you are out there and you're kind of that friend and you're always the person that people go to, imagine being that person 40 plus hours a week, right? And that's your job. And then you also, outside of that 40 hours a week, you also have friends who probably rely on you for that stuff. It's not like the friends stop needing things in your life. It's not like your families stop needing things. So not only are we doing it probably more than likely for our friends, you know, having to be there for them and be supportive, we are also having to be that person for our family members. And in addition to being a more professional character too, like being more of a, having more of a professional role in that way with our clients as a job. So you can imagine that we get fatigued as far as our compassion goes. We hear a lot of the same things in different ways. We are absorbing a lot of negative energy and that prolonged exposure can lead us to feel really fatigued as far as that negativity goes. So some ways that you may feel this compassion fatigue as a therapist would be kind of just feeling kind of numb whenever you're experiencing these set types of sessions. You may feel like you're not as able to focus as regularly. You may feel kind of irritable. Maybe it even affects you as far as your body goes. So maybe, you know, it's affecting your appetite. Maybe it's affecting you as far as headaches go. You're also going to maybe start to feel some poor job satisfaction. So you may just not feel as able or as willing to do the work because you feel so fatigued as far as your compassion goes. You just feel spent mentally is really the best way to put it. Burnout is a little bit more severe of an issue. So compassion fatigue can contribute to burnout for sure. So burnout is a little bit more organizational in nature, I suppose. So it has a lot to do with the work-related attributes. So maybe it stems from bigger issues like your boss or the structure of the work setting. It's not necessarily like compassion fatigue in that compassion fatigue is coming from like the personal characteristics of the clients and, you know, exposures to trauma, prolonged exposure to a lot of this negative information burnout is going to be maybe some more relational disturbances, um, struggling kind of more with the system in general. So burnout is when you're feeling like you can't take on additional issues. You are, you know, not taking breaks enough at work or bottling up feelings. And these are all things I could go on forever about compassion, fatigue, and burnout. Um, I might even do an additional episode on that, but this is to say that Therapists experience this. Um, I don't know the statistics. I don't know the research, but we are definitely just the nature of our work, right? Like we are absorbing all of this and it's hard stuff. We love it and we are invested. And hopefully, we're doing what we can do to monitor that and take care of ourselves inside and outside of session. 
to help these issues not become crisis situations, but these are definitely issues that therapists struggle with from time to time. So a couple of other, I guess, confessions of a therapist uh, would be we're humans too. So as I kind of mentioned, you know, these negative events and this negative processing that we have to be there for clients with, you know, we experience those things too. So even just on a superficial level, we have friends, we have family members that we need to come back to. Yes, we go to the grocery store, so you might see us there. Um, and we're, I mean, we we do fun things on the weekends, right? Like we have our favorite TV shows. We are humans too. And our personalities may be quite different from when we're actually at work to when we're outside of work. Um, so it really all just kind of depends. And along the lines of being human, we also struggle. So uh, get into this a little bit later as far as taking our own advice and whatnot. But therapists struggle too. Therapists are not by any means perfect. It's not like just because we know about relationship difficulties and communication and assertiveness that we are masters in that, you know, in that force, right? So it's just because I'm a a therapist in OCD and anxiety, it does not mean that I always take my own advice sometimes. Um, So we're humans too. And we definitely have things that we experience. If we're well-practiced and we are taking good care of ourselves, then we won't let that affect the session. Um, We will kind of be able to compartmentalize and move forward so that we can serve the clients. But know that we have our own struggles too, and we're not perfect. We have things that we're also working on in our everyday life, potentially even that day. I remember how I was like 37 or 36 weeks pregnant, and I found out that my son had a a heart murmur. Um, It was really unexpected. It was something that I had never had to, you know, deal with obviously before in the pregnancy, super healthy pregnancy. And I remember I was at the hospital for like two hours and went through a bunch of tests by myself. My husband was unable to make it because of work and I really didn't want him there. It would have freaked me out. Um, I ended up getting the clear to to go home and be okay. They, they needed me to come back um, a couple of days later to do additional tests. But afterwards, I went to work. Um and I, I don't know if that was the best idea. I do know that if I were not to have gone back to work, I probably would have just come home and like froze and, you know, numbed out in a corner or something. So I guess it was my way of coping, like to stay busy and to try to, you know, not solve problems that haven't happened yet. So I went to work and I I remember just trying to go through the rest of my sessions and I don't feel like it interfered with my sessions at all. And I also remember thinking, like, these clients have no idea the news that I just learned. Like, they have no idea that I was just in the hospital for two hours, that I was just given, like, the the worst news that I had been given up until this point, that I'm dealing with this anxiety right now. So that is to say, from a therapist's perspective, you know, it's okay that sometimes you have your own stuff going on. It's it's normal. We're human. We feel feelings just like the people who it is that we're seeing. And from a client perspective, you just never really know. Just keep in mind that we're humans too. We have our own stuff going on. And 
you know, we'll try our best to keep it out of session. That's what's professional and appropriate. And we still have that stuff going on in our own everyday lives. Uh, Related to that, we might also see therapists. So again, along the lines of, you know, we're not going to judge you for the things that you bring to session. We are here for you. We understand maybe even, you know, as far as a professional level goes, but maybe also from a personal level, the intricacies of taking that first step and going to therapy. So therapists can see other therapists. I know as far as grad school goes, sometimes that's, that is even a requirement that people need to go to therapy so that they can kind of get that experience and deal with it kind of firsthand so that they can be better therapists whenever they're ready for that in the field. Um, so definitely it's possible. Like I said, we are not perfect. We are not masters of the things that we teach. We definitely need that support sometimes too. So we're sometimes right there with you. It is also hard not to bring stuff home. So I talk about that as far as physical work, like it's hard not to bring physical works home sometimes and also just emotionally. So two things along the lines of the emotional piece. So sometimes, I mean, it's impossible some days for me as a therapist to come home and feel like I still have anything to give to my family or to friends. It is the most I can muster some days to come home and like get through dinner and keep my patience with my toddler, ask my husband how his day was, and then make it to dinner and bath time and watch an episode of The Office before I go to bed. <laughs> um, So emotionally, like we bring that stuff home and it is exhausting. I'm speaking as an introvert. I'm an introvert therapist, which is kind of interesting. So people drain me. Um, That is how I'm drained and I recharge by being by myself. Maybe it's a little bit different for therapists who identify more as extroverted in nature. But, you know, emotionally, it's hard Sometimes I will be racking my brain throughout the evening, like, okay, this didn't work with this person. What else could I be doing? What could I be doing better? Um, How else can I help this person? Where am I going wrong? Um, Of course, it's not up to me, right? Like, it's up to me and the client um, to be working together and collaborating and whatnot. And it's also hard when you're so invested in someone and, and you want more than anything to see them get well. When you keep turning through ideas, turning through ideas, and it doesn't seem to be clicking and it doesn't seem to be working, it is easy to take that stuff home and continue to kind of brainstorm. So as I mentioned earlier, it's hard sometimes to just clock out and leave stuff at work. Um, So as a therapist, you really need to be boundaried in that. and, And it's hard. It's definitely hard to do and definitely easier said than done. So what do we do in between sessions? This is an interesting question that I get from people. So in between sessions, depending on how heavy the sessions are and kind of how I'm feeling that day, I may do absolutely nothing. (laughs) I may mindlessly scroll on my phone. I may kind of just email and check what's going on. I may check in with my husband and, and see how his day is doing. I may get a cup of a tea or something, walk around. I may also, you know, do charting or some other things, maybe, you know, brainstorming some exposure ideas or some interventions or something if I feel like something is really relevant right then and there. But I'd say four out of five times I do nothing, especially if there's like maybe 
15 minutes in between sessions, I definitely need time to kind of regenerate and reset so that I can be fresh again for the next client. And the only way to do that for me, I feel like, is to kind of log off mentally for a little bit. And usually that's like mindlessly scrolling my phone or something like that. Um, I talked about the emotional investment that sometimes we have with clients and hopefully we have with clients. I mean, we want to be emotionally invested in our work, not too emotionally invested to the point where it's dysfunctional and we're bringing stuff home too much and it's interfering with our daily, you know, daily living and our satisfaction. But there is something called transference. And transference is something that can happen from client to therapist, and it can also happen from therapist to client. So transference is kind of this experience from either perspective of something coming up from the past, usually an old relationship or something that's coming up from your past. Maybe the therapist reminds you of someone, or maybe the uh, as a therapist, maybe a client reminds me of someone. And whether I am conscious of it or not, I can be giving into this transference, um, sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad way. So sometimes I can have positive transference with somebody, like maybe someone reminds me of my good friend, and I just automatically really, really like them, and I find myself being a little bit more cheerful with them. I find myself talking to them a little bit more casually than I would with another client. Um, There's also like negative transference that could take place and anywhere along the lines of that spectrum. I'm hitting the pause button quick to share with you guys a product that my family absolutely loves. Magic Spoon is a protein-packed, delicious adult version of some of our favorite childhood cereals. It's a healthy cereal that seriously tastes too good to be true. Each serving has about 11 grams of protein per serving, compared to those other cereals that only have one or two grams of protein per serving. Each serving also only contains three net carbs compared to an average of 24 net carbs per serving with other cereals. Magic Spoon cereals are also grain-free, gluten-free, and free of artificial sweeteners and other funky ingredients. They have flavors like cocoa, fruity, frosted, blueberry, honey nut, and my favorite, peanut butter. Give it a try at magicspoon.com and enter Jenna Overbaugh, one word, for free shipping on me. Happiness 100% guaranteed. Negative transference is going to make it hard to work with somebody or maybe even get us to the point where we can't work with somebody. So hopefully as therapists, we are being knowledgeable and aware and getting supervision for these issues, but be aware that sometimes these things can happen. Sometimes people can remind us of people and whether we're conscious of it or not, that might alter our perceptions of that person. It might alter our behaviors around those people. So that's something that can happen, and therapists are not immune to that issue by any means. We also will have, regardless of transference, we'll also kind of have these clients who we really, really like to work with. And it's not like we don't like to work with others, but we all kind of have our own little collection of symptoms that we really enjoy working with. We have certain characteristics of clients that just jive with us naturally. And so for me, I really like good students. Like I I really enjoy working with people who want to learn. I really enjoy working with people who are good listeners and 
are kind of like academic in nature, meaning they, they listen to what I say, they absorb what I say, and then they put that into practice. And that resonates with me because I really like being the teacher. So when it comes, not to say that if people aren't like that, then I can't like them. I like all of the people who I work with. They all have wonderful qualities and I want to provide good services to all of them, but we're human too. We naturally kind of have these clients who we just drive with a little bit more and, you know, we're human too. That happens. Along that, those lines too, on the other side, we might also have clients who kind of aren't really our forte. Like they're not really people, um, whether it's just the personal characteristics or maybe part of their history that we should know ahead of time that we don't really work well with those people. And we should know that that would probably negatively impact the relationship, would interfere with our ability to provide them adequate and professional services, and hopefully would be able to block that out and refer them elsewhere. I wouldn't say that sometimes we would want to, I I mean, I can't speak for other therapists. I wouldn't say that I would ever want to be friends with any of my clients just because it is such a professional relationship and it's different. And I try to keep that so boundaried. But after especially working in residential, I can work with people really intensely for 45 to 60 days, if not more. And it's like I said, we're sharing the most intimate pieces of the client's life with them. So it is really difficult to not also see that more personal side to them, like to see them, you know, get hear about their families and hear about what's going on for them back home. And it is it's not to say that we would want to be friends with our clients outside of session. But again, we do have these kind of clients who we naturally gravitate to. And yeah, we can really enjoy working with our clients for sure. Um, Some other things that would be really difficult for a therapist, and so I think is really good for a client to know when and if therapists have to make these decisions that they're not easy decisions. One decision for sure that falls under that umbrella would be the decision to send someone inpatient. So I spoke with my husband about this episode because he's outpatient. He's a therapist. And I wanted to see kind of the confessions that he would have as a therapist versus the confessions that I would have. And he said that that it's really, really difficult for him to make the decision to send somebody inpatient. And that would be one of his confessions, I guess, was that that is an unexpectedly and unexplainably difficult decision. Uh, both personally and professionally, because the decision to send someone inpatient against their will or if they're not cooperating or whatever, that can really ruin the therapeutic rapport and it can potentially ruin further opportunities for them. Um, So it's really a difficult balance of what is best for this person and how might this impact them negatively how might it impact them negatively if I act on this decision versus if I don't act on this decision? So knowing as a therapist, that's a difficult decision for you to make. And there's solidarity here with us because we get it too. Um, And also as a client, if you're, God forbid, ever in that scenario, know that your therapist is having a hard time making that decision and ultimately just wants to make the best decision for you. There are other things that could interfere with the therapeutic relationship for sure. Um, from a therapist perspective, I will do a separate episode on kind of the ways that clients can sabotage their therapy experience. So know, 
like I said, we're humans. We have human experiences. There are things that clients do that frustrate us. There are things that clients do that annoy us. Um, We are more than willing to work on those things, but there has to be good communication. And like any human who has any job, there are things along with the job that definitely frustrate us. And sometimes those frustrations come from the clients. Sometimes it comes from the bigger structure. So especially if you're working with a therapist who kind of is under the umbrella of a larger organization, know that that therapist may not always be able to make his or her decisions completely on his or her own. So sometimes that therapist is going to be bound to having to do or not do certain things based on the larger work setting that they're under. So as far as a confession goes, there might be some things that I really, really, really want to be able to do for my clients or really, really don't want to do, but I have to do them. So as from a therapist's perspective and also a client's perspective, knowing that these decisions can be definitely really difficult to make. And moral of the story, I guess, when it comes to decisions for therapists, they're not ever really straightforward and simple. Um, We really take these decisions and these difficulties into consideration and we try to make the best decisions for the clients. Usually it's not very straightforward. Usually there's a lot of weighing and pros and conning that has to go on for us to make a good decision for you guys. Uh, We do not go around therapizing people all day. I would say in my experience, it's the opposite. I really struggle. I try to be there for my friends, um, but I struggle with that. Especially, I mean, I definitely struggle with it more, I think, than if I were not a therapist. I'm more mentally accessible and more emotionally available, say on the weekends, or say if I have a pretty manageable caseload and if everything is kind of going well at work. If nothing is really working out for me at work and I have clients who are struggling in one way or another, and it has been a really difficult day, and someone needs me, whether it's my husband or a friend or a family member, it is really, really difficult for me to get into that emotional investment mode again because I've been giving therapy all day and I'm spent. So some people have this myth going on or the stereotype that therapists walk around therapizing people all day. In my experience, it's the opposite. Like my brain shuts off at least as far as that goes. Um, I at least want it to shut off as far as that goes. So definitely do not go around doing that. Uh, We can't just do things for you, unfortunately. Um, And yeah, so sometimes... Sometimes clients want us to just do things for them. I have an example that comes to mind. For instance, a person with social anxiety. Let's say a person with social anxiety is struggling. They're working on their exposures. They're benefiting from treatment, so on and so forth. Let's say that they have to make a phone call to, say, their psychiatrist or their family or someone else, another follow-up provider, something like that. Let's say the client just wants me to make those phone calls for them. I, especially because of social anxiety and because this is relevant to the person's presenting issues, I would not just do that for them. There are other things that I can't just do for them either. 
Um, let's say that a couple is disputing something and person number one just wants me to kind of agree with them. I can't just do what the person wants me to do, right? Like I have to kind of take a step back, be a third party objective uh, observer and facilitate that conversation less than I have to facilitate that conversation more than I would like jump in and give advice or um, do exactly what it is that somebody wanted me to do. The last thing, and I wouldn't say that this is, I don't know, this isn't something that frustrates therapists, but definitely like pulls at our heartstrings a little bit. So I guess it's more of a confession. We love to hear how you're doing. And we, at least where I'm from, how things work on my end of, of the spectrum of working with really, really severe people, um, we don't really hear back from people too much as far as how they're doing or their progress. And some of that is good, right? It's good boundaries. Hopefully they are just in communication with their current therapist. Hopefully they're functioning so well that they don't even have time, that like they can't even be bothered to reach out to us and let us know how they're doing. But we do think about you guys. We do wonder all the time how you guys are doing. And I I might not remember exact names, but I feel like I remember every case who I've ever worked with because people are so unique and so different and we get really invested. Like I said, we from the get-go want to know you and want to be able to help you. And it's really easy to get invested like that and therefore to remember you for a very long time. So I I think of people who I worked with three or four or five even longer years ago because maybe they come up in conversation, not their names specifically, but maybe something that I learned from them or something that they learned that is relevant to this new person I'm working with. So as a client, just know we're usually, we're, we're, we didn't forget about you. We are thinking of you. We wish you the best. And depending on what your current therapist would say, I would say that as long as it's a quick and brief and to the point, like if you are given the okay by your therapist, go like, give us a little shout out. Let us know how you're doing. Um, we obviously are wishing you the best. And this is kind of contrary to what I'm about to say, but what I always say to my clients before they leave, and again, I'm working in residential, so they should be stepping down to a lower level of care. Hopefully what I say is that I don't want to see them again. (laughs) I say, I wish you the best and I hope I never see you again. Might be different from an outpatient perspective because hopefully like as people learn to maintain and have booster sessions and whatnot, maybe you would want to see them again. Definitely don't want to see someone in residential again. If they're discharging on good terms and they have adequate and good follow-up providers, I will say definitely don't want to see you again. I wish you the best and don't want to see you again. With that said, it's really difficult to know that I may never see them again and they may do so well that I never know how they're doing and that can get tricky sometimes. It's something that I think gets better the more that you do it. You kind of habituate to it and you get better at the goodbyes. At least I have. Um, Know as a client that we are wishing you the best and we're thinking of you. We remember you. And we probably use you in session all the time. Like I said, not any names or identifying information in particular, but 
everything that we learn from you, we will take that and we will take that and, and, you know, apply it to a different case, apply it to somebody else who can be helped by that information down the line. So I hope all of that gave you a little glimpse into what it's like to be a therapist, kind of the things that happen in our minds and in our hearts, um, behind closed doors and after hours, so on and so forth. So if you're a therapist and you can think of anything else here that I miss, I would love to know because obviously it's nice to know that we're all in this together. And as a client too, if you ever had any questions about therapists or anything else that you're just kind of wondering about, I think that would be really cool to know too. Um, like I said, I kind of get it. I remember feeling that way with teachers when I was younger. So by all means, reach out and let me know what you think. Um, I will tell you guys in the end here about how you can find me. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things. For more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure that you are the most up-to-date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh and tune into some other episodes here while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other people who need these resources and they otherwise may not get them. With that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.